So Father, we sing about it. We all want to be the same. We all want to be different. We all want to be one. And yet the prospect scares us because, well, that sounds like uh, we could hurt each other. We might have to bleed for each other. And Lord Jesus, you prayed that we'd be one, John chapter 17. It's what we're looking at these three weeks, and this is the middle week. Jesus, um, I pray that you would help us to understand just a little what you prayed. It's such an incredible prayer, Lord God. There are lines in there that I could just like barely even dare to begin to believe. But Lord, would you help us to believe? And maybe the way we'd say that in modern English is, would you help us to trust and uh, surrender to what you are doing, Lord God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the power of your Holy Spirit, because you're good. Help us to preach. Amen. Um, see that picture? That's my grandpa. Grandpa Ralph, and that is a live deer in the living room. Um, just want you to understand that I come from a very classy pedigree. Must have been about... Uh, 1977 or so that I screwed up the courage to witness to my grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa Ralph. See, I was, I was scared of Grandpa and I was scared for Grandpa and, and I think that was kind of because I, I was scared of, of God. I think I suspected that I love Grandpa more than God and so I needed to save Grandpa from God. You, you know, uh, we all need saving. But I figured that Grandpa especially needed saving. Because Grandpa said all the words that I wasn't allowed to say. You know what I mean? Uh, he uh, used the theologically loaded phrase, God damn, more than any man I've ever met. He was, he was a Nebraska farmer, and, and I, I have this theory that Hell is just loaded with broken old trucks and irrigation equipment because my grandpa sent him there. God damned him there. <laughs> Satan's down there going, where's all this irrigation equipment coming from? That, that was coming from my grandpa. Well, anyway, grandpa was uh, visiting and staying in my sister's room. He'd sit there smoking these White Owl New Yorkers with his dentures in the front pocket of his overalls, sit there on the side of my sister's bed uh, for hours playing solitary. So, so I, I rehearsed my philosophical arguments and the stuff that I had learned in books, you know, like evidence that demands a verdict. I, I was kind of a science and philosophy geek, and so for me, truth was something that you arrived at through the powers of deduction. So if you wanted the truth about a frog, you'd capture the frog and cut the frog into little pieces. And if you wanted the truth about God, well, you kind of followed a similar procedure. I was a modern scientific theologian that dissected life. And Grandpa was a farmer that, that grew life. So anyway, I rehearsed my arguments, went in, sat next to Grandpa. I fumbled through some casual conversation on the way to a reasoned gospel presentation. 
I can't remember exactly uh, what it was that I said to Grandpa, but I've never forgotten his response. I stopped and Grandpa just looked at me and he said, Oh, Peter, hell, I don't know. They all say a different damn thing. The Presbyterians say one damn thing. The Methodists say another damn thing. The Lutherans say another damn thing. The Baptists say another damn thing. Then they all fight about it. That's what he said. <laughs> and I honestly did not know what to say to that. And I didn't understand what that had to do with my argument and why it mattered. And, and yet I felt like I'd been trumped. Game over. Oh, Peter, hell, they all say a different damn thing and fight about it. It wasn't long after that that my grandpa passed away. Well, in John 17, Jesus prays for you, for me, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, and my worldly grandpa. And he seems to think that grandpa's objection really matters. Pick up where we left off last time, verse 17. Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate, sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified, consecrated. That means set apart. That they might be set apart in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you guys me guys that they all may be one just as father uh, just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me did you catch that you, you see I think Jesus agrees with my grandfather's objection father make them one so the world may believe so that grandpa might believe and he prayed consecrate them consecrate them in truth not simply with truth but in truth the truth Jesus is the truth and the truth is God in him we live and move and have our being says says scripture in him so proving the existence of God is a little bit like a fish trying to prove the existence of, of water or the ocean a little bit like a bird trying to prove the existence of air or or wind see I can't catch the wind in in a jar and if I do, it's, it's not the wind. I can't catch the wind, but the wind can catch me. I can't catch the ocean, but the ocean um, can catch me. The ocean can contain me. The ocean can sweep me away. I can't prove God, but maybe God can prove me or, or us. I mean, if, if there was a God, if there is a God, I mean, he'd be bigger than just my head, right? But how would Grandpa know that God wasn't just an idea in my head? See, the ocean is bigger than just one fish. Sky is bigger than just one bird. And God is bigger than just one argument in one boy's head. 
But, but, but what if grandpa saw several fish swept along in, in the same direction? Well, that might indicate a current. And that might indicate an ocean. And what if grandpa saw several strange birds, weird birds, you know, being blown in the same direction? Well, that might indicate uh, some wind. What if Grandpa saw a bunch of strange and, and really different people? I mean, Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians, can you imagine worshiping the same Lord as if caught by some invisible wind? Well, I'm just saying, Jesus seems to take Grandpa's objection rather seriously. He prays, make them the, the ones that you have given me out of the world. That, that's the them, remember? The ones that you've given me out of the world. Make them the elect Make them one. That so that the world may believe. Do you realize that you are the elect so that others would believe? Abraham was blessed in order to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. See, we think God makes us one because, there's, because others won't believe or can't believe. We define ourselves as in by defining others as out, but God makes us one in order that the world would believe and be one too. Because that's what he wants for those that believe. He defines us as in in order to bring others in. Jesus prays, Father, make them one so that the world may believe. Do you think God answers Jesus' prayer? I mean, that's just kind of an interesting question. That the world may believe. Believe what? An argument? A list? An intellectual proposal? No, no, a person that the world may trust that Jesus is from God. Trust the character of God and the character of Jesus. Verse 22, the glory, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Remember, we talked about that. We're going to talk about that next time too. The glory that you have given me, I've given them. Ouch, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know. When people know things in the Bible, they tend to get pregnant. That the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Do you know how God the Father feels about you? Read it. The same way he feels about Jesus. Ugh. Next verse, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world, literally before the foundation of the cosmos, the outside of and before space and time itself, beyond the, the Big Bang. You see, Jesus isn't simply a created being, and Jesus and the Father are, are one and yet two, or two and yet one, two persons, one substance, and I think that substance is love. God is love. There is no way that I could ever love my grandpa more than God. No way. God didn't send Jesus so he could finally love grandpa. God sent Jesus so grandpa could finally love him. For God so loved the world. And he'd always love grandpa. God is love. Oh, righteous father, praise Jesus. 
Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Wow. Just wow. Well, anyway, Jesus prays that we'd be one, that the world might believe. You see, unity bears witness to the thing that unifies, right? Diversity in unity is a well-oiled running machine rather than a pile of nuts and bolts. It bears witness to the maker of the machine. Diversity in unity is a city, a nation, an army bearing witness to a common idea. And Jesus prays for unity and that's why we have decided as a church to order uniforms. So I was looking online this week and I found some. I thought maybe we could get uniforms like this or perhaps like this. I actually have one like that. Or maybe like that. That's cool. Or like that. I like that uniform. Or how about one like this? We get uniforms like this or maybe like this or uniforms like that. How about that? Oh, maybe not that. But how about, but how about this? We get uniforms like, like this. We get uniforms like, like that. You know, people um, complain about uniforms, but I have found that people absolutely love uniforms. Everybody does. Everybody. Nobody here this morning is wearing lederhosen, right? Anybody wearing lederhosen? Not that, that I've seen. Nobody here this morning is wearing a kilt. Why? Because they're not in fashion. You see, fashion is a uniform. You're all wearing uniforms. Even when we look different, we look different together. And even uh, when we really look different, we wear our differences as, as a uniform. You see, with uniforms, we derive our identity from a group, a collective, a crowd. So we need uniforms and we need rules. People complain about rules, but I've found that people really love rules. That's exactly what people want and it's what leaders like to make. In fact, Galatians 4.17, remember the Galatians were getting all into rules and Paul uh, wrote to the Galatians and he said, they, these leaders, you Galatians, want to exclude you so you would be zealous for them. Isn't that a weird line? They want to exclude you so you'd be zealous for them. You see, the Galatians wanted laws. Why? So that they could, they could work and judge themselves in by judging others out, inclusion through exclusion. So anyway, we need uniforms, we need rules, and we need creeds. We need to dress the same, act the same, and believe the same stuff. You know, this blue book um, contains like a whole bunch of, of, of rules, but most of it, all in the middle, is a creed, the Westminster Confession of Faith, written 350 years ago. And by the way, I really love the Westminster Confession of Faith. And when I joined my last denomination, actually one before too, they said, do you subscribe to the system of doctrine taught in the Westminster Confession of Faith? They said, yeah, sure, totally. And then they changed the rules a few years ago. I think they thought for the sake of unity and said, you have to agree with every word in the document. But to confess that you agree with every word is to confess that you haven't read every word. For the confession has been amended for 350 years and the confession doesn't agree with itself. There's many words, not, not one word. If we could just confess one word, like, like a name. We need, anyway, you, you see, that unity, I think, is, is really disunity. For it's not a unity... In truth, a unity in truth. 
And unity based on, on rules is just an act by definition. For nobody obeys rules in their hearts, right? Nobody obeys rules in their hearts, so it's an act. Nobody obeys rules in their heart, or we wouldn't call them rules. We'd call them desires. And uniforms, they don't unite differences. They hide differences. Do you remember who invented the very first uniform? It was a couple people, Adam and Eve, to hide their differences and act the same. You see, our unity cannot be an act. For an act is a lie, and a lie can't bear testimony to the truth. Unity is not just dressing the same, not just acting the same, not just talking the same. Perhaps it's thinking the same or being exactly the same. And that's why we're all just so grateful for Francis, for Joni. Francis, she's sitting right over here. Francis, would you stand up? Would you just stand up? Yeah, just stand up. Isn't she lovely? She's our, yeah, go ahead. She's lovely on the inside. She's our pastor of congregational, congregational life. In the past, you know, we've had house churches on, you can go ahead and sit down, Francis. On, on, in, the, in the past, we've had house churches on the last weekend of each month. But in the fall, we're changing our structure. And Francis will be working to assimilate you into the collective life, the community life of our body through one of three types of community groups. Francis doesn't know this, but we actually have footage of Francis assimilating a new member. And I think when you watch this footage, you'll see why she's so effective. Robbie? I am the beginning, the end, the one who is many. Do you control the Borg Collective? You imply a disparity where none exists. I am the Collective. I bring order to chaos. By assimilating other beings into our Collective, we are bringing them closer to perfection. Somehow, I question your motives. shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Wow. That is some serious community life. <laughs> or death. <laughs> Is it okay if we call you the Borg Queen? Is that, that's what you live with all the time, huh, Bill? Yeah, um, Bill, she's assimilated Bill. No, um, <laughs> no, actually, seriously, Frances is not the Borg Queen. If anything, she's the anti-Borg Queen. But have you ever, seriously, uh, she is. Uh, but have you ever felt that way at church? Like you're being assimilated into the Borg? like you want to belong, but, but you're scared that if you do belong, you will no longer exist. I never, ever exist again. 
You, you know, the Borg is a well-oiled machine. The Borg is a city, a nation, an army of sorts. The Borg looks like a, a unity. In fact, they always say the same damn thing, and they don't fight over it like Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians, but I'm pretty sure that Grandpa would refuse to be assimilated into the Borg. Now, unless you have no culture whatsoever, you know that the Borg on Star Trek is a giant cybernetic organism that possesses other organisms dissolving all individual personality and freedom into itself. Americans tend to think that everyone, everyone has this thing called free will, that we're free. And they're terrified of God, I think, because they think he's the Borg and will take our freedom away. But God is not the Borg. Actually, he's the anti-Borg. Francis is kind of like him, but they're both anti-Borgs. He's the anti-Borg. However, sometimes what people call the church is the Borg. And all the time, definitely, what John calls the world is the Borg. In fact, according to Scripture, we're all born into the Borg. John writes that the entire world is under the power, the dominion of the evil one. That means people think that they're free because the Borg tells them that they're free. People think that they love because the Borg tells them that they love, that controlling and consuming others is love. On earth, this desire is often called love, writes C.S. Lewis. In hell, I feign that they recognize it as hunger. There, I suggest, the stronger spirit can permanently gorge its own being on the weaker's outraged individuality. It is for this that Satan desires all his own followers and all the sons of Eve and all the hosts of heaven. His dream is of the day when all shall be inside him and all that says I can say it only through him. This, I surmise, is the only imitation he can understand of that unfathomed bounty whereby God turns tools into servants and servants into sons so that they may be at last reunited to him in the perfect freedom of a love offered from the height of the other, in, other utter individualities which he has liberated them to be. Let me read that last part again, okay? God turns tools into servants and servants into sons so that they may be at last reunited to him in the perfect freedom of a love offered from the height of the utter individualities which he has liberated them to be. He's the anti-Borg. According to Scripture, none of us are truly individuals. And none of us are truly free until God in Christ makes us free. Until then, we're dead in sin under the dominion of the Borg, trapped in an illusion of life that is really death. And so God will sanctify you in truth. He will set you apart in truth. God, your Father, will find a way to separate you from the Borg, the world. You know, the church is often tempted by and conscripted by the Borg, especially when it relies on uniforms, writes rules, formulates confession, with the purpose of 
controlling people through shame, manipulation, and fear, especially when absolutely when the church thinks she is an institution of the world. She's conscripted by the Borg. And God your Father will separate you from the Borg. Apa synagogos. Remember? It's John's word. You will be cast out of the synagogue, says Jesus. God your Father will separate and consecrate you, you in truth in order to tell you who you are and in order to set you free. He, he does that with his word, the truth, who is Jesus. You see, the Borg doesn't know who you are and cannot tell you who you are. Only your Father in heaven knows who you truly are and only his word can make you who you truly are. You must be who you truly are, a person, unique, individual, and free. You see, there's something that you must do that nobody else on the face of this world can do except for you and Jesus, and that is you must be you, the true you, unique, individual, and free. A person. So God will separate you from a, for a time, like he separated Joseph from his brothers. Remember that? Like he separated Moses from Israel. Remember that? Like he separated David from the kingdom. Remember that? Like he separated Jesus from humanity. He'll separate you and send you back. He'll separate you and then he'll send you back. He'll send you back to your brothers to bless your brothers, not the Borg, the church. He makes you an individual and he makes me an individual so that we can be one. So Jesus prays. I'm not asking that the world would be one, not that the Borg would be one. I'm asking that these would be one for I have given them the glory, we'll talk about next time, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Make them one, not as the world is one, but as we are one. How are Jesus and God one? How is God one? Well, theologians have argued and fought over this for a couple thousand years, and it seems that the best we can do is to say it this way, that God is three persons and one substance, the Trinity. Three persons and, and not a Borg, for each person honors the others and glorifies the others. So the Spirit emanates from the Father and glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father, laying down His life and surrendering the Spirit. The Father glorifies the Son and gives all judgment to the Son, but get this, the Son only does what He sees His Father doing in the power of the Spirit. Three persons, one substance. You see, God is not one enormous self-centered person, a Borg. God has three persons. And each person is not about conquest, but sacrifice. God is not a collective of taking. God is a community of giving, self-giving in freedom. In the words of Karl Barth, God is the one who loves in freedom. God is love in freedom. Freedom. So in the community that is God, there is sameness and difference. You, you know, if everything is the same, without any difference, I am you, and you am me, and we is God. One enormous self-centered person with nothing left to love. 
On the other hand, if everything is different with no communion, we'd each just bite and devour the other till only one was left with nothing left to love. And so Satan tempts our unity to uniformity and our diversity to division so there'll be nothing left to love. No one left to bleed for. No one left to love. But when we love, uniformity is, is not a temptation. And diversity is no longer a threat, for our differences are no longer liabilities, but in invitations, invitations to love. You see, it's our differences that allow us to give and to receive. God makes you an individual so that you can give yourself away, so that you can love. And we can only love in, in freedom, in freedom. God is three persons in one substance, and the substance is love, a diversity in unity, and the unity is love. So Jesus prayed, Father, make them one as we are one that the world may know. You know, a well-oiled machine is a diversity in unity, but Satan is just fine with diversity in unity if you're part of a machine. Because nuts and bolts don't love. They don't choose the machine. And you know, a city, a nation, an army is, is a diversity in unity. And, well, and Satan is just fine with cities, nations, and armies as long as they're constrained by shame, manipulation, and fear. Constrained. And Satan is fine with Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians as long as they don't love each other. But what if, what if, what if my grandpa saw Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians, maybe even saying different things. I mean, maybe even having some diverse things, but not fighting, rather united in love, like throwing a party or having a dance. I mean, actually enjoying each other. You know, diversity in unity that is freely chosen is a party. And my grandpa, he just, he loved parties. Diversity and unity that is freely chosen is, well, it's a really great marriage. Male and female, diversity in unity, in ecstasy, in the image of God. Diversity in unity that is unforced, ordered and yet free is music, D diverse notes united by a melody, a logic, a, a logos. A diversity and unity that is unforced, incomprehensible, mystical and free is life, right? One cell serving another cell. One member sacrificing for another member. One body part bleeding into the next body part. That's life. And you see, my grandpa was a farmer. He recognized life. He didn't explain it. He grew it. I can't comprehend life. I can't explain life. Actually, scientists can't explain life. I can't explain life, but, but, I, but I can bear witness to life. How? By living. And not just my life, our life, when, when I bleed for a brother, like a body. Well, well I think Grandpa was saying, I, I don't know about Christ, Peter, hell, I don't know. Because these Christians, they look dead. That's not life. 
Diversity and unity that is freely chosen is life. And the life is love. And God is love. Three persons, one substance, love. So Lewis writes this. In Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will, a kind of dance. And what does it all mean? And what does it matter? Well, it matters more than anything. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us, or putting it the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern and take his place in that dance. And, and that is an incredible picture. You see what it means? It means that love, life, logos, the reason, the word, the rhythm, the music that is bigger than any one of us is all around us, holds everything together and is all around us. In him we live and move and have our being. But to join the dance, we have to hear the music and individually surrender to the music. The music is, is greater than any one of us all around us, like, like the ocean around a fish. Like the sky around a bird is greater than any one of us and yet can enter into each one of us and romance each one of us, becoming incarnate in us. Not just one of us, but, but all of us. A dance. There's order in a dance, yet freedom in a dance. As each individual person surrenders to one common song. So what if Grandpa saw several weird fish being swept along in the same direction? That would be evidence for a current. And what if Grandpa saw several weird birds being blown in the same direction? That would be evidence for some invisible wind. And what if Grandpa saw Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians with diverse opinions all worshiping the same Lord? And not because they had to, not because of fear or shame or guilt, but because they freely chose to. Well, that might be evidence for some kind of holy wind. What if we saw them all dancing to the same tune? Well, instead of seeing the dance, I tried to explain the tune. Oh, Peter, hell, I think maybe that tune's just in your head, your head. Hey, do you hear that music? Do you? Do you hear that music? Do you hear the music? Do you hear the music? Do you? Do you? Do you, Dawson? What's wrong with you? I'm dancing, so there must be music. Don't you hear the music? See, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, hey, Peter, you know, maybe the music's just in your own head. <laughs> but now, what if? We were at the park, okay? And, and everybody's just kind of doing their own thing, running around, and suddenly you see this. You see this. All these like diverse, different people moving in rhythm together as if moved by some sort of invisible wind. All these strange birds being swept along in the same direction. And not because they have to. If you look at your faces, you see that they're, well, they look happy. Well, you, if, if at that point I said, hey, do you hear the music? Well, that might be different because you might think to yourself, hey, maybe there is music. I'm just not hearing it. And so what might you do? You might listen. You might seek. You might search uh, for the music. And Scripture says, if you seek, you will find.
So Jesus prayed. Father, make them one as we are one so that the world might believe and the world might know that the world might join our dance. Our dance, Father. Amen. In 1990, I got to travel to Romania, most incredible trip, I think, of, of my life. Honeymoon would be right up there, but this was pretty incredible, too. We went there just a few months after the Romanian Revolution. Now, Romania had been a communist collective, and if ever there was a, a real Borg on earth, I mean, a manifestation of the Borg, it, it would be Romania. Uh, they were actually forced to live in these giant cement cubicles, every cubicle just the same, an apartment. Uh, they were forced to act the same, dress the same, talk the same, even think the same. For 45 years, public prayer had been illegal in Romania, and God was officially dead. Well, well this October night in 1990, 10 months after the revolution, my Baptist pastor friend, Peter Dugalescu, after showing me around the central square and looking at the bullet holes in the walls, he took me to the, to the home of his Lutheran uh, pastor friend, Laszlo Tokish. As we stood there in the dark, outside his old home, he told me the story of how the revolution began. The morning of December 15, 1989, the communists were planning to come and take Tokish to prison for preaching the gospel against the dictates of the state. However, the churches in the city of Timisoara got wind of it. These are underground churches and uh, also some state-sanctioned churches, uh, Baptists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, Orthodox, churches that had never fellowshiped together as one. And if you think prejudice is bad in the United States of America, you should try Eastern Europe. It's incredible there. But all these different groups, different people, different churches, they got wind of it and began to congregate outside the home of Laszlo Tokish on December 15. Tokish had bled for Jesus, uh, and he was willing to bleed for Jesus, and he had bled for them, I think, and I think they probably thought, well, maybe we'll bleed for him, maybe we'll bleed for Jesus. Well, when Tokish looked out his window early the morning of the 15th, he couldn't believe his eyes. There were hundreds of believers, uh, hundreds, and in, and in Romania, hundreds in one place was a really strange sight, but there were Baptists, uh, Reformed, Orthodox, and they all had joined hands, and they were singing, singing hymns in public in unison, illegal Christmas carols about a baby born in a manger and born into our hearts incarnate, and, and he thought to himself, this is what he told my friend Peter later, he said, I thought to myself, I don't know where I will be by this evening, but I know that right now God is with us. Well, all those singers ended up blocking the police. So they joined hands around Tokish's home. And over the next few days, hundreds of others joined in the singing. When the police finally decided to storm the house on the 17th and take Tokish away, the, the crowd just kept right on singing. In fact, they moved to the central square in Timisoara, Romania. In, in a few days, thousands, thousands would be gunned down by the authorities, but they couldn't keep up with the killing and stop the singing as thousands more joined the crowd. That, you see, really wasn't a crowd by now, but it was becoming a body. It was becoming a, a dance, a life, even a party. On December 22nd, 
seven days later, one week later, Peter stood in front of 200,000 people in the central square. And this is what he told me. He said, Brother Peter, I stood in front of 200,000 and I said, let us pray. And simultaneously, 200,000 people dropped to their knees, scientists, teachers, doctors, and in unison, all these diverse people in unison, they prayed would have been illegal for 45 years, the Lord's Prayer. On Christmas Day, the dictator was deposed and Romania was free. And as we stood there in the dark outside of Tokish's home, I remember Petru, Peter, he leaned over to me and he said, Brother Peter, just think of it. This, this is where it all began. And this is when it began. When at last we held hands and began to sing. You see, the church had always been there. They just hadn't held hands and begun to sing. So I sat on the bed next to Grandpa, not knowing what to say, but, but now I do. Grandpa, on behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ, and on my own behalf, I'm sorry. My mom really believes Grandpa came to peace with Jesus before he died. One thing that I really believe is that Grandpa loved me. I could see it in his eyes, feel it in his touch. But sadly, I often didn't return it. I often didn't receive it because of fear, because I judged him out and myself in. John writes, he who loves is born of God and, and knows God. Maybe Grandpa knew God. He just had a hard time associating that with church. Because maybe somewhere along the line, Grandpa had been misled. And somewhere along the line, he, he got the Borg and the church confused. Happens to a lot of us. Well, we are the church, and we can resist the Borg, and this is how we do it, by gathering together here in homes, in community groups of various types. We gather together and individually listen for the music. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. The Logos took bread, and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup, and he said, this is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You see, this, this, this is bigger than any one of us. 
This was in the beginning with God and was God, the Logos. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. It's bigger than any one of us and yet it's as small as a seed that can enter us and grow in us. And so come to the table and surrender to the glory. Surrender to the seed. Surrender to the life. Listen to the music. Surrender to the music. And we'll dance. Amen. That was more groovy than the 70s, that version of the song. That's cool. So anyway, those, for me anyway, those words are kind of hard to believe. And uh, if you've been around church a while, you know that sometimes church really hurts. And we'll talk about that more uh, next week. And yet, if scripture is true, which I really think it is, and if B Jesus tells the truth, and I think he really is the truth, then uh, what we just sang is true and what Jesus prayed is true. And that means that if you really want to change the world, well, don't just become a senator and go to Washington. Just, don't just become an evangelist like Andrew and travel the world. Don't just become a preacher or a pastor like me. No, this is the most powerful thing that you can do. Find somebody in this room that's different than you and love them. And if they love you in return, well, then I think the world will look and say, oh, that's what God is like? That's what he's like? Now, doing that can be incredibly hard. And personally, I, I think we don't really have the strength for it. But Scripture says this, John says this, we love because he first loved us. So you see, our best shot at, at making that happen is to gather together and individually listen to the music. And when you believe the love that God has for you, the same love that he has for Jesus, the Son, well, that love begins to fill you up and then you begin to dance. And that dance is that love and other people begin to dance and then the world can look and go, oh, that's what he's like. I'd like in on that dance. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, in Jesus' name, May you believe the gospel. And you see, that's something even the Spirit does. May you, may you believe the gospel and live the gospel. May we live the gospel. Amen. Hey there. I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message and then uh, forward this link on to them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if he'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the Sanctuary downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. 
Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing and God bless you.